Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Because we know something that the other side doesn't. Mm-hmm, what's that? That all federal, state, and local judges are members of a certain obscure sect of the Freemasons. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Our strategy is that all judges are Masons? <laughs> well, there's more to it than that. Like what? Well, there's a secret Masonic word which, when uttered, obligates judges to rule in your favor. Then they have to go paddle each other off in a secret cave somewhere. <laughs> and what's that? I could tell you, but then I have to kill you. Wait, 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 wait. My, you're basing my whole case on some silly secret word? Mr. James. Come on, Joe, give it up. Tubal cane. Tubal cane? Sorry. Tubal cane? What the hell does that mean? I have no idea. Welcome, oddities, to another oddcast featuring me, your odd man out. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me, as always. And I hope that this week's show will be a blessing to you and something that you can remember and share with others. I do apologize for taking a little bit more time to get this episode out. There's been a lot of research. It's been hard to decide what to leave in and what to leave out. This is going to be another episode on Freemasonry. I hope you've listened to the last couple of shows about Freemasonry. It was called Freemasonry's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2. And they were basically going over previous oddcasts that I had done on this subject. I realized that I probably covered this subject more than any other subject. And so I thought that it was time that we go back over the most important tenets, the most important aspects, and help us to get back into the series and the show and help us to get acquainted with the subject because I intended on doing more shows about it. And so we're going to be looking a little bit deeper than before. We're going to look at why you possibly should be for or against Freemasonry. 
And I'm going to look at some of the things that have been talked about, some of the more controversial things regarding this secret society. There's no longer as much need to hide the fact that these guys have these polytheist belief systems. There is magic involved and all kinds of different things. And I think it's time that we talk about them and look deeper than previous podcasters and researchers. Don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of good books on Freemasonry that has exposed a lot. It's helped us learn a lot. But I think that some of these researchers have fallen short because they've just taken little excerpts here and there, little quotes here and there, sometimes out of context, and not delved in deeper. And so we're going to be doing this show on Freemasonry, and we've got an upcoming show on the roots of Freemasonry that I think have been really overlooked, which is mainly Kabbalah. Of course, there's alchemy in there as well as astrology, but you cannot have Freemasonry without Kabbalah. It's just impossible, and I think a lot of past researchers have left that part out. So we'll be delving into that deeply, but this episode is going to be on some other subjects pertaining to a society of secrets, the Freemasons. Freemason J.D. Buck, a large percentage of persons have reached on the intellectual plane the state of manhood and are capable of partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is therefore no reason why this old philosophy should be concealed. Now, I've been thinking about it, and we see these little Freemason lodges on the side of the road or in these little towns, and a lot of them look kind of run down, and we think to ourselves that secret societies and Freemasonry is not as important as it once was, and I do believe that's true. And I've said in the past, I think that NGOs have somewhat taken the place of secret societies, but also I think that the need for secret societies has lessened the more we've went away from the Christian worldview, and the more of these occult belief systems you're seeing in the mainstream, and of course in movies and music and all kinds of stuff like that. So I think you're seeing the cat coming out of the bag, if you will. I think that people like Alice Bailey of the Theosophical Society and Lucius Trust. She wrote about initiations. Many of these occult writers talk about initiations, and secret societies, of course, are famous for initiations. And I think that we've been being initiated slowly over the years by these different occultists and occult groups. And so I think that they are really coming out of the closet, if you will. And so I think that old quote by J.D. Buck should be paid attention to because that quote was from a long time ago. Another quote, Freemasonry and the New Age by Lynn Perkins. Man rose to divine status by partaking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent's advice to Eve was wiser than the recorded command of God. Now you can't have a Freemasonry episode without quoting the big daddy, Albert Pike, and from Morals and Dogma, he says, To retain the rays of light still remaining among his eons and ever tending to escape and return by concentrating them, the prince of darkness, with their consent, made Adam, whose soul was of the divine light contributed by the eons and his body of matter, so that he belonged to both empires, that of light and that of darkness. 
So Albert Pike says clearly that the prince of darkness made Adam. Isn't that interesting? He goes on, To prevent the light from escaping at once, the demons forbade Adam to eat the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, by which he would have known the empire of light and that of darkness. He obeyed. An angel of light induced him to transgress and gave him the means of victory. But the demons created Eve, who seduced him into an act of sensualism that enfeebled him and bound him anew in the bonds of matter. This is repeated in the case of every man that lives. So I'm doing this episode and the two previous episodes on Freemasonry, Freemasonry's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2, because I really want to better understand this fraternity. And I want you to understand it as well, because there's a lot of things that have been said about it. But I think we should just talk about the things we can prove or the things that have been written mostly by Freemasons themselves or people who would be in the know. Talk about Freemasonry and New World Order, rebellion, revolution. And I don't think you can separate Freemasonry from the French Revolution and even the founding of America. Now, Louis Blanc on the French Revolution said this, As the three grades of ordinary masonry included a great number of men opposed by position and principle to every project of social subversion, the innovators multiplied the degrees of the mystic ladder to be climbed. They, after a long series of proofs, calculated to test the progress of his revolutionary education. In James Billington, from the book The Fire in the Minds of Men, he wrote that although while Nardi's revolutionary organization went far beyond any Masonic models, it was clearly influenced by his five-year immersion in Masonic meetings in Geneva. So great indeed was the general impact of Freemasonry in the revolutionary era that some understanding of the Masonic milieu seems the essential starting point for any serious inquiry into the occult roots of the revolutionary tradition. And Jurilina, or Jurilina writes in Architects of Deception. He's got a quote in here from, I believe this is a Russian writer, Alexander Seleninyanov, The Secret Power of Freemasonry. And he says, In 1886, the Masonic brother Guanad stated, There was a time when our statutes prescribed that Freemasonry should not concern itself with political and religious matters. Was this really the case? I should not say so. Only due to the law and the police were we compelled to hide that which was our sole aim. But in Scarlet and the Beast, which is a good book, I suggest you guys check that out, most are good men unaware that their particular assignment is one small part of a great plan to re-establish a one-world government, a government that Mason's claim was destroyed by God at Babylon. And of course, the highly esteemed occult writer, Rosicrucian and 33rd degree Freemason Manly P. Hall, once wrote that Masonry is the most powerful organization in the world. And another time he said Mason's ordain kings. Now, he also had a long quote here that I think is worth mentioning because you have to think about secret societies and, of course, masonry and 
Rosicrucianism, the Golden Dawn, different things like that in particular, he said, A world fraternity was needed, sustained by a deep and broad program of education. According to the method, such a fraternity could not immediately include all men, but it could unite the activities of certain kinds of men, regardless of their racial or religious beliefs, or the nations by which they dwelt. These were the men of towardness, those sons of tomorrow, whose symbol was a blazing sun rising over the mountains of the east. He goes on, It was inevitable that the orders of fraternity should sponsor world education. The program included a systematic expansion of existing institutions and the enlargement of their spheres of influence. Slowly, the orders of universal reformation faded from the public's attention, and in their places appeared the orders of the World Brotherhood. Everything possible was done to prevent the transitions from being obvious. Even history was falsified to make certain sequences of activity unrecognizable. The shift of emphasis never gave the impression of abruptness, and the motion appeared as a dawning of social consciousness. The most obvious clues to the secret activity have been the prevailing silence about the origin and the impossibility of filing the lacuna in the records of the 17th and 18th century fraternal orders. And I had to look it up. Lacuna just means an empty space, a void, if you will. He finishes up, The orders of fraternity were attached by slender and almost invisible threads to the parent project. Like earlier schools of the mysteries, these fraternities were not in themselves actual embodiments of the esoteric associations, but rather instruments to advance certain objectives of the divine plan. Again, that was Manly P. Hall from Masonic Orders of Fraternity. And you have to think about, of course, the Illuminati and their plan to infiltrate education. And then I believe there's an invisible string, if you will, from the Illuminati right to the Fabian Society. And, of course, they made it their number one or number two aim to infiltrate education. So does it have aim at a new world order? Now, we've seen many things that say it does, that Freemasonry has been behind communism, behind world revolution. But is there any proof? Well, let's look further. Albert Pike, in The Legenda, one of his lesser-known books, he said, And thus the warfare against the powers of evil that crushed the Order of the Temple, or the Knights Templar, goes steadily on, and freedom marches ever onward toward the conquest of the world. And we know that the Masons see themselves as the new Templars. A.E. Waite was an occult writer, and I believe he had taken over the Golden Dawn at some point. Uh, he wrote a lot about Rosicrucianism and different things like that, very well respected in the occult world. He said that beneath the broad tides of human history, there flows the stealthy undercurrents of the secret societies, which frequently determine in the depth the changes that take place upon the surface. You start to think about all the Freemasons and the other members of government and big business who've probably been in these other secret societies. And I guess we'll never know the depth of it, really. And reading from Behind the Lodge Door, he has a few quotes in here that I think pertain to the subject. 
It says the craft's relationship to any nation was clearly explained at the time of the Civil War in an 1861 letter from the Grand Lodge of York Masons in Pennsylvania to their counterparts in Tennessee. The letter said, Masonry is as old as government. It constitutes a government in itself. Masonry is a sovereignty and a law unto itself. It knows nothing but the principles and the teachings of its faith. Another Mason by the name of Bertold Altman in Freemasonry and Political Parties in Germany, page 278, said, Freemasonry is and must be a political force. The whole spirit of the order, and especially of the Scottish Rite, is a propulsion to political action. Now, in the book, Secret Combinations, Evidence for Early Mormon Counterfeiting, in chapter 8, it says, The William Morgan Affair and the Gold Bible Company the ultimate goal of Freemasonry is to take charge of the world and eventually become a one-world government. The recent terminology being used is globalization. The idea is to replace all religions with the one true Masonic religion. Freemasons insist Freemasonry is not a religion. And that was actually a quote from a former Mason, Martin Attard. Now, we've mentioned this next quote before in the show, but I think it's important. This was from Carl H. Cloudy. He was an author, a magazine writer, a journalist for the New York Herald, and a Freemason. He said, By Masonic authority and a Masonic harvest, a plan will result in the founding of Novus Ordo Seclorum. How will it end? A vision of a universal religion which will embrace all creeds, a universal government which will embrace all humanity, and a universal knowledge which will make all mankind kin. And again, let's go right to Morals and Dogma and the man himself, Albert Pike. He said, The world will soon come to us for its sovereigns and pontiffs. We shall constitute the equilibrium of the universe and be rulers over the masters of the world. That's a heavy quote from an important man in Freemasonry. Now, we have another one from British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, infamous guy. He said, The governments of the present day have to deal not merely with other governments, with emperors, kings, and ministers, but also with secret societies, which have everywhere their unscrupulous agents and can, at the last moment, upset all government plans. You guys know that the oaths have always been a concern of mine, and we'll get to that later. Another quote from Morals and Dogma. Such, my brother, is the true word of a master mason. Such, the true royal secret, which makes possible a holy empire of true Masonic brotherhood. And Francisco Franco once said that the whole secret of the campaigns unleashed against Spain can be explained in two words, masonry and communism. We have to extirpate these two evils from our land. We know that Freemasonry has been big in Spain for decades and decades. And to get a little bit deeper into this idea of a new world order in Freemasonry and secret societies in general, here we're going to go to a quote. The following curious piece of intriguing information is given by René Guénon in his book on Theosophy. 
Eliphas Levy, the occultist and Martinist who died in 1875, had announced that in a new universal kingdom, politics and religion would be established, and that this kingdom would belong to him who would have the keys of the east, that is, the keys of Solomon, and that these keys would be possessed by the nation whose life and activity was most intelligent. This prediction was contained in a manuscript which was in the possession of an occultist of Marseilles, a pupil of Eliphas Levy, the Baron Spadallery. He in turn gave it to Edward Maitland, who in turn passed it on to Dr. Wynne Westcott, the Supreme Magus of the Societal Rosicruciana in Anglia, member of the Theosophical Society, and one of the founders of the Golden Dawn. Now, we know that Freemasons also started the Golden Dawn, and when Westcott was another very highly coveted, very highly respected occult writer. Finally, the latter published in 1896 under the title The Magic Ritual of the Sanctum Regnum. It is said that Spadallery was a member of the Grand Lodge of the Solitary Brethren of the Mountain an illuminized brother of ancient restored order of the Manichaeans, a high member of the Grand Orient, and also a high illuminate of the Martinists. The dream of the Grand Orient is, as is well known, universal masonry. Now we talk about Eliphas Levy. He was one of the biggest occult writers of his time. Again, another guy who was very well respected, even to this day in many circles, and he is said to be the guy who Albert Pike stole from the most to write morals and dogma. And we've talked about in one of the other episodes on Freemasonry that famous quote about Lucifer, which was nearly word for word from Eliphas Levy. Now, in his book, Transcendental Magic, he describes this sanctum regnum as magical omnipotence, the knowledge and power of the Magi for which is required an intelligence enlightened by study, indomitable courage and will which cannot be broken, and finally prudence which nothing can corrupt or intoxicate. To know, to dare, to will, to keep silent. It is the invisible holy empire over all peoples and over all nations, symbolism of illuminism, the star of revolution. Its symbol of power is the interlaced triangles, the seal of Solomon, the seven powers representing complete magical power through the knowledge in all its combinations of the magnetic currents of attraction and repulsion in all nature. He who has this power and can wield it has the keys to the east. The great work, which Masons talk about all the time, he says is to prepare the way for the establishment of the universal kingdom and the formation of the magnetic chain. And that was from the book, The Trail of the Serpent. Now, Nesta Webster says in her book about secret societies and subversive movements, I believe is the full title, what passed at this terrible Congress, and she's talking about the williams Abad Congress in the 1700s, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Adam Weishaupt of the Bavarian Illuminati did indeed attend. What passed at this terrible Congress will never be known to the outside world, for even those men who had been drawn unwittingly into the movement 
and heard for the first time the real designs of the leaders were under oath to reveal nothing. Of course, that would be back when they for sure had blood oaths, blood-curdling oaths, as some people say. One such honest Freemason, the Comte de Varieux, a member of the Martinist Lodge at Lyons, returning from the Congress de Williamsbad, could not conceal his alarm. And when questioned on the tragic secrets he had brought back with him, he replied, I will not confide them to you. I can only tell you that all this is very much serious than you think. The conspiracy which is being woven is so well thought out that it will be, so to speak, impossible for the monarchy and the church to escape it. She says that from this time onwards, says his biographer, M. Costa Beauregard, the Comte could only speak of Freemasonry with horror. And back to Scarlet and the Beast. In July 1950, the issue of the New Age magazine, which is now called the Scottish Rite magazine, 33rd degree Freemason Harry L. Baum wrote, This nation was nurtured on the ideas of Freemasonry. Most of those who are today its leaders are also members and leaders of the craft. They know that our American democracy, with its emphasis on the inalienable rights and liberties of the individual, is Freemasonry in government. Well, you see what's happened with all of that now. And uh, Manly P. Hall says here that the ancient initiates or the invisible powers behind the thrones of earth and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. We see the dancer, but the mastermind that does the work remains concealed by the cloak of silence. And apparently, President Millard Fillmore was no fan of Freemasonry, like John Adams. The Masonic fraternity tramples upon our rights, defeats the administration of justice, and bids defiance to every government which it cannot control. And we get more into the international field and the influence on Freemasonry in the early 1900s. It says, From Universalism to Nationalism, Italian Freemasonry and the Great War. Again, we know that Freemasonry has been huge in Italy. Now, during the period from 1914 to 1915, prior to Italy's entry into the First World War, Freemasonry was a powerful force in Italian public life with a strong presence in every part of the nation in most of the vital organs of the state, parliament, public administration, and armed forces. Between them, the Grand Orient and the Grand Lodge of Italy counted 25,000 members and more than 500 lodges. Freemasons played a critical role in the campaign to mobilize Italian public opinion and political parties in support of Italy's intervention in the war as an ally of France and Great Britain. To do so, they abandoned the movement's traditional cosmopolitanism and pacifist stances and adopted instead the objects of the nationalists, a shift that would be consolidated during the war. Nonetheless, from 1917 onwards, Italian Freemasons joined their counterparts in other European countries to press for the creation of a League of Nations to promote a new post-war universal order premised on the peaceful coexistence of the independent and democratic nations. This is from a scholarly article, tannedonline.com. Now, I found an article from NewZealandFreemasons.org, and it talks about how Freemasons created 
the United Nations, and it talks about how FDR was a Freemason, Anna Schreiner, and when he died suddenly, his wife, who was a member of the Order of the Eastern Star, was appointed by Truman, who was also another Freemason and high-level Shriner. It goes on to talk about how Nelson Mandela was a Freemason, which I thought was interesting. I had not heard that before. And so you know that there's been these guys playing their parts behind the scenes. It mentioned some other people who were involved with UNESCO and the United Nations and different things like that. Now let's look here at this quote from Hermetics.net. And I think this is in regards to the French Revolution. Kegley Ostro was the agent of the Templars and therefore wrote to the Freemasons of London that the time had come to begin the work of rebuilding the Temple of the Eternal. We think about London and the square mile and how we figured out even to this day that it's ran by Masons and it's one of the most powerful hubs for lending money and for offshore accounts in the world. It goes on to say he had introduced into masonry a new rite called the Egyptian and endeavored to resuscitate the mysterious worship of Isis. The three letters LPD on his seal were the initials of the words Lilia Pedibus Destru, tread underfoot the lilies of France, and a Masonic medal of the 16th or 17th century has upon it a sword cutting off a stalk of a lily, and the words talum dabit ultio mesum, such harvest revenge will give. I just thought I would throw that one in there. Now, in another part of Light Bears of Darkness, it talks about the Grand Orient Freemasonry, and it says, as shown by their own records. And we talk about the French Revolution, and in France, of course, Freemasonry was huge. And there's been many books written in French, about Freemasonry, and it's got a quote from a book that I cannot pronounce. I'm going to try, La Dictature de la Franc Masonry, Sir La France, by M.A.G. Michael. He says, it is the duty of the universal Freemasonry to cooperate absolutely with the League of Nations in order that it may no longer have to submit to the interested influences of governments. The principal tasks of the League of Nations consists in the organization of peace, the abolition of secret diplomacy, the application of the right of the people to self-determination, the establishment of commercial relations inspired by the principle of free trade, yeah, we know how that works, the reparation of basic matters, the regulation of transport, restoration of normal relations between national devices, and the creation of the international note. Does that mean international dollar? The development of the international legislation of labor, and especially the participation of an organized working class in international councils, the spread of a general pacifist education based notably on the extension of an international language. The creation of a European spirit of a League of Nations patriotism, in brief, the formation of the United States of Europe, or rather, World Federation. It said this was part of the covenant of the Grand Lodge of France in 1922. And it goes on, affirms that this assembly, League of Nations, must evolve in a democratic sense and rapidly admit representatives of all nations. 
declare that the new establishment must assure equality of nations, report with satisfaction the creation of a Bureau of Nations, and then it says Convention of Grand Lodge of France, 1920, the commission demands that the convention should unanimously vote that in all manner of cases the League of Nations shall henceforth have supreme authority to decide between peoples and governments. Further, it demands that the League of Nations, in order to assure the execution of its decisions, should be endowed with a permanent armed force placed under its sole authority, diminishing by so much the different national armies. I'll read just a little bit more. The federal organization of peoples implies the establishment of an overstate or a supranational state invested with three powers, executive, legislative, and judicial. That is to say, the three organs indispensable to all constituted society, a government, a parliament, a court of justice. The court of justice must be furnished with a penal code, civil code, and a code of international procedure. The international authority must be sanctioned by an army or international force to disarm separate states and arm the Federation of the United States. These are two phases of the same progress. Studies through the League of Nations to create an international bank based on the mobilization of invested finance, property, public or private. And then it goes on to say that The Grand Orient penetration of many groups is explained by the following extracts from the same document. Masonry must be felt everywhere, but must be found nowhere. That was the convention of the Grand Orient. We are forming a great association, dumb to the outside world, whose sole endeavor will be to express ideas collectively and overrun the country with them. We must earnestly endeavor to make our thoughts penetrate the whole mass, but our whole satisfaction will come from that which our ideas germinate. An active propaganda is urgent so that Freemasonry shall again become the inspirer, the sovereign mistress of the ideas through which democracy, praise be your name, is to be brought to perfection, to influence social elements by spreading widely the teaching received within the institution. Sports societies, Boy Scouts, art circles, choral and instrumental groups, all organizations which attract Republican youth to works of education, physical and intellectual. There are so many fertile fields where Masonic propaganda ought most usefully to be exercised. Everywhere, add to these adult courses, wherever there is any chance of them being taken up and frequented by libraries, etc. Freemasonry is not exactly international, it is universal. It is a society non-national, a society of humanity, not a society of international brotherhood, but a society of universal brotherhood. So I think that that follows along with many of the quotes we've mentioned tonight. I think that you can see that it has, of course, this universal brotherhood. That's pretty out in the open. But when you consider how many Freemasons have been a part of governments and how close we are now to pushing this one-world government idea, this globalization idea on us. You can see that that's where we've been headed for a very long time, and Alice Bailey talks about that as well. Now we're going to look and see if we think that Freemasonry is a religion. That fact has been denied by many, many prominent Masons, and many smaller-time Masons as well. 
But I think if you take a deeper look into some of the writings of prominent Masonic authors, that is hard to deny. And I think I can prove it to you, so we'll look into that next. Unfortunately, that was a tease, and you guys are going to have to wait till the next episode to find out more. But I do thank you so much for checking this episode out. And I want to thank my patrons immediately. I want to thank KF. I want to thank Cole. Ashley, that crazy bread man for being a covert co-conspirator. Aaron. Ruckus from the Daily Ruckus from AlternateCurrentRadio.com and from TNT Radio. Thank you, Ruckus, for being a producer of the show. Thank you, No Evil Shall Fear. Thank you, Mark, from Housatonic Live. Be sure and check out Mark's work. Thank you, James. Thank you, Bill, for being a producer of the show. Thank you, John Brisson, for being a covert co-conspirator. Thank you to the Mighty Kilowatt. Thank you to Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, David. And thank you, Jack Allen, from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Please check out Jack's content as well on all your fine podcasting platforms. I also want to thank AlternateCurrentRadio.com for being my podcasting family. Please get over there and check out all their fine talk and music shows as well especially their flagship show, The Boiler Room. And also, I want to thank FringeRadioNetwork.com for carrying my show as well. I can't wait to bring you more content very soon. I've got some exciting information to talk about probably on the next show, kind of give you guys a little bit more insight into why it's been taking me a little bit longer to get shows out, but I think you'll totally understand. And with that being said, cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. To quote Albert Pike, the blue degrees are but the outer court or portico of the temple. Part of the symbols are displayed there to the initiate, but he is intentionally misled by false interpretations. It is not intended that he shall understand them, but it is intended that he shall imagine he understands them. Their true explication is reserved for the adepts the princes of masonry. Another famous mason, one with unblemished reputation, put it like this, dig through the outer shell and find a meaning, cut down through that meaning and find another. Under it, if you dig deeply enough, you may find a third, a fourth, who shall say how many teachings?